We are Victim of Illusion, you are listening to the tall, friendly, Atheist Dead podcast. And the next 30 seconds are brought to you by our album Invisible Light, available at our Bandcamp website. As per my followers on Twitter, uh, I put out a poll the other day asking what they would like me to read next, also what they would like me to expand my reading series into. And the Kent Hoven doctoral dissertation was the uh, number one vote getter, and by by quite a margin. Um, there were some other suggestions, and I will get to those other suggestions uh, at some point in time. But yes, the uh, the Kent Hovind doctoral dissertation uh, is controversial for a number of reasons. Uh, most substantially in that it was granted by uh, Patriot University, who aren't actually an accredited university. So yes, uh, Kent Hovind does have a, uh, a, a doctorate of philosophy, but it's uh, not officially recognised. So anyway, um, I've got the PDF copy in front of me because I'm definitely not uh, printing this on paper. Uh, it's about a hundred, about a hundred pages long, and the, uh, the title of it is uh, so: Patriot University dissertation for Doctor of Philosophy in Christian Education, a project submitted to Dr. Wayne Knight, submitted by Kent Hoven, Pensacola, Florida, May twenty fifth, nineteen ninety one. So that's a dedication page. I can think of many people who have been influential in the production of this book. Miss Kim Van Gundy spent countless hours typing, correcting, and retyping the manuscript. My mum and dad supplied the computer for this work to be done on. There have been many times they financially supported my ministry. My wife has put up with me reading well into the night many, many times. She has also patiently let me spend hundreds of hours on the phone, gathering information and scheduling meetings. In those hundreds of moments when I thought of not completing this work, she encouraged me to go on. My three children, Kent, Andrew, Eric and Melissa, have often travelled with me as I preach on the subject of dinosaurs and the Bible. They've been a great help to me as we set up, and later pack up, three tables full of books, bones, tapes, maps, and graphs for each meeting. Patriot University inspired me to continue my education by making it possible for me to study at my own pace and complete this thesis as I could. Hundreds of pastors and laymen have encouraged me to continue on in this unusual and unique ministry. Many science teachers and writers have left their mark in my life. 
Some of these have been evolutionists, and some have been creationists. Most of all, I must thank my Lord Jesus Christ for patiently working with me and equipping me for the work of the ministry. I marvel that he has counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Kent Hoven, 25th of the 5th, 91. That would make this 30 years old. Oh boy, that's a that's a that's a long time for a. Um, but yeah, if you've actually read it, you'll see that it is. Uh, it almost looks like it was printed printed on a a dot matrix. A dot matrix printer. Um, it is very a uh, very early nineties. Yes, it's a very early nineties uh, publication. Um, no, I won't say. I don't say this is a um, as as disrespect. Um, it does doesn't doesn't look professional. Um, but yeah, and I did actually pick up a, uh, a grammatical error, um, in there as well. Uh, so I did say, yeah, Patriot University inspired me the continue my education. So I know what he's trying to say. And look, I'm, anyone who knows me will know that I, uh, I don't agree at all with, uh, Kent Hovind. Um, he doesn't know me personally. I don't know him personally. I've heard countless hours of his, uh, of his, his arguing style and his debating style. Um, I wouldn't consider him very trustworthy, but that's, 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 that's an aside. Um, so look, I will, uh, respectfully dis- disagree with a lot of, um, as far as I, well, as, far, as far as I can, you know, I don't want to malign the guy. Um, I think. I think he does a good job of maligning himself already without my help. But, um, yeah, so anyway, I'm going to start with the introduction. Also, I've already started with the, the, the thanks, but yeah, so it starts off with the introduction. Now, I've already read a few pages of this, and the number one takeaway I, I have is that this is not a professional thesis. Um, this is more of a, a letter or a an essay, if you call that. But yeah, I, I know a number of uh, PH, people with PhDs in my life, and we've, we've discussed uh, stuff like this. And in all the PhD dissertations I've read, not one of them starts with, hello, my name is... Um, yeah. So anyway, um, if you are academically inclined, um, yeah, this may be an example of how not to write a PhD, uh, PhD thesis. Um, if, you, if this is the first time you've heard it, well, anyway, um, I'll quit with the yapping. I'll get to the reading and enjoy. Kent Hovind's PhD thesis. Introduction. Hello, my name is Kent Hovind. I am a creation-slash-science evangelist. I live in Pensacola, Florida. I have been a high school teacher since 1976. I have been very active in the creation-evolution controversy for quite some time. As an evangelist, God has given me the opportunity to preach and teach the wonderful story of his marvelous creation over 400 times each year to churches, schools, public and private, parent groups, youth groups, on the radio, and in university debates. It is my burning desire to help Christians get back to a simple faith in God's Word. 
Satan's method has always been to instill doubt in God's word. The first sentence that came from Satan that is recorded for us in the Bible is, Yea, hath God said? He started by questioning God's word in the Garden of Eden. It worked there, so he has used it ever since. In the 20th century, the major attack Satan has launched has been against the first 11 chapters of Genesis. He knows that the entire Bible stands or falls on the validity of these chapters. I believe that the Bible is the infallible, inerrant, inspired, perfect word of God. I believe that the Bible needs to be read and believed as it stands. Christians are often guilty of neglecting or twisting their Bible to fit their lifestyle or their preconceived ideas. In this book, I'll be covering, in a nutshell, the creation-evolution controversy. I will explain why it is important, the effects that the theory of evolution has had on our society, the creation alternative, and what we should do about the problem. I will try to answer questions that modern science has raised from a scriptural viewpoint. I am, without apology, a Bible-believing Christian. I've been saved for 22 years by the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. I believe that God's Word is infallible and flawless in every detail. If the Bible says that something was created in a certain way, then that is just the way it happened. Now, as a science teacher, I want to keep an open mind and understand why, how, and when God created the earth, if those things can be known. There are some things we cannot understand, and some things I believe that we can. So as you may be able to hear already, this is definitely not a um, an academic level uh, paper. This is a, I suppose, a polemic might be the best way best way of putting it. Um, and it comes from a very fundamentalist uh, fundamentalist point of view. So he hasn't even really discussed what. Um, how can I say? Like, th th there's no theological nuance uh, in here as well. He's basically gone. The the Bible stands or falls on the validity of the first eleven chapters of Genesis. Well, no, I don't think. I don't think that's correct. I think there's there's a lot more to it than that. And even considering that Genesis and, and the Pentateuch uh, were written by multiple or multiple sources and multiple authors. Um, yeah, I don't think they read it, but I suppose that when you're, when you believe the Bible hook, line and sinker, um, and you believe it is the infallible, inerrant, inspired, perfect word of God, then, um, it is a little bit, uh, ironic then he goes that the Bible needs to be read and believed as it stands. Uh, Christians are often guilty of neglecting or twisting the Bible to fit their lifestyle or their preconceived ideas. And I think creationism is the ultimate in twisting the Bible to fit. Why should know? Um, goes both ways. Twisting the Bible to fit their ideas, but then also twisting their ideas to fit the Bible. Um, and for example, and this is a topic I've been uh, looking at, um, I've been discussing recently, is the firmament in, in Genesis 1. Now, if you read... If you get to know the original Hebrew a little bit, and I've got a, 
And I'll give him a shout out again because he's really handy to run questions past and his blog is is awesome. Um, Elisha Ben Abuya, who writes at um, uh, apicorus.blogspot.com. Um, yeah, like the the I, the biblical idea of the world is that there's a dome that covers the uh, there's a solid dome that covers the the earth that protects us from the waters uh, sitting sitting above. Um, now, if you read the Bible in English, I say, what are you talking about? It's it's a vault or an atmosphere or something else. But no, if you actually read the original Hebrew, it is clearly a it is clearly a dome. So, however, you know we've sent rockets into space, we've sent satellites up there, and there's no dome. So even here, you know, where it says Christians are guilty of neglecting or twisting the Bible to fit their preconceived ideas, well, <laughs> you know, said so if you if you read the Bible without our knowledge of modern cosmology, then yes, <laughs> you know, it's like oh, there's um, the word firmament actually means um, just atmosphere, or well, no, it doesn't. It's um, there's certain reasons why that doesn't uh, doesn't make sense, but anyway, um, I'll get back to the. Uh, um, I then says, I believe that God's word is infallible and flawless in every detail. Um, anyone who actually knows um, some of the deeper, the deeper um, uh, meanings of the text and uh, where the influences from other cultures have come in, would not say that. But anyway, I will uh, go back to the. I will be quick to point out that there is nothing new under the sun. Most of my ideas are the result of the input of hundreds of godly men and women through the years. I have attempted in this book to simply explain the things I have learned through many years of studying both science and the Bible. In the last 22 years, I have read hundreds of books by creationists and evolutionists alike on the subject of origins. Many great thinkers and scientists have had an influence on me. I owe much to many, but I must, in the final analysis, take the blame slash credit for what is written in this book. Many things I can document and verify with the experts, whatever an expert is. Some things in this book I couldn't prove to anyone. I only ask that you realistically look at the ideas presented and ask yourself the simple question, does this key open the lock? Does this answer the question? If it does, it just might be right. Okay, um, I don't know if this would uh, would even pass a philosophy course, let alone a uh, be considered a PhD thesis. Um, if your if your standard of uh, truth is, um, well, hold on, so where, where, where was it that I was? Where was it that I read it? Um, some things in this book I couldn't prove to anyone. Then it's not an academic thesis. That the whole point of a of a thesis, especially a PhD thesis, is that you have you're writing about something new that no one else has a uh, no one else has come across before, or you're looking at something from a novel approach. And the whole point is that you are, you know, showing to the highest level possible that you. You're proving something, and you know something, and you have a mastery, a mastery of the subject. So I'm a little bit surprised that he goes, "Oh, so I some things I can't prove to anyone." 
Um, I only ask that you realistically look at the ideas presented and ask yourself, does this key open a lock? Does this answer the question? If it does, it just might be right. That is an incredibly unacademic way of you know, asking a question. You know, you're supposed to both ask the question and provide you know, that replete answer that shows that you have the mastery of the subject. So, yeah, it's like, whoa, that's, um, and, and this is one of the things I, I point out, that it's just because you have an answer doesn't mean your answer is right. You then need to, you know, test that answer against the data at hand. And, um, yeah, anyway, back to the, back to the thesis. Only God knows all the details of how it really happened. I believe he has revealed many details about the original creation in his book, the Bible. Everything else we come up with down here is just our theory. My weekly radio broadcast has been instrumental in answering a number of questions about the creation-evolution controversy. I have tried to answer each question as thoroughly and scripturally as I know how. Each broadcast dealt with a different topic. We have selected some of the most helpful topics and developed them into chapters toward this book. The chapters, and consequently the subject matter of this book, begins by discussing the history of evolution. Where did we get this crazy idea anyway? The second chapter deals with the fact that evolution is a religion and not a science, and therefore should be excluded from public school curriculum. The third chapter deals with the effects of evolution. What has the teaching of evolution brought to the world in the way of good or harm? In the fourth chapter, we deal with the subject of time. How old is the Earth? In the fifth chapter, we discuss the Big Bang Theory. In the sixth chapter, we give information about the geologic column, the foundation of all evolutionary teaching. In chapter 7, we answer questions about radiocarbon dating. Chapter 8 gives the truth about cavemen. Chapter 9 discusses the best evidence evolutionists have for evolution, that is, archaeopteryx. Chapter 10 answers the question, has science created life in the laboratory? We took 10 chapters of the book to destroy the edifice of evolution and clear away the rubble so that we could build on a clean foundation. Several legitimate questions about the creation account given in the Bible need to be answered. Number one, don't all scientists believe in evolution? In chapter 11, we discuss scientists, past and present, who are creationists. In chapter 12, we answer a commonly raised complaint. Genesis 1 conflicts with Genesis 2. In chapter 13, we give interesting evidence that dinosaurs are mentioned in the Bible. I believe that dinosaurs are not only in the Bible, but they have lived with man all through his 6,000 year history. In chapter 14, we deal with the question, are dinosaurs extinct? In chapter 15, we discuss the human and dinosaur footprints found together in Glen Rose, Texas. In chapter 16, the creationist's alternative theory to explain the geologic features of the Earth within a 6,000-year framework. While all the evidence is not in yet, I feel it is still the best option to take God's word at face value. 
the Bible has never been proven wrong yet, and I believe it never will be. Oh boy, so that is the uh, that is the introduction. As obviously, obviously, a few things jump jump out. Um, yeah, so so first, by calling it a book, it's not really a uh, a thesis. It's more of a you think he's just writing a book, and I think he could have. I actually think he did sell this at some stage as well, if I'm not mistaken. I know he, my understanding is that he wrote a book from prison, which was something like What Will Happen at the End of the World or, or something like that. Um, so just off the top of my head, um, now this guy is, so this is a very bad epistemology. While all the evidence is not in yet, I feel it is still the best option to take God's word at face value. Um you can feel that that's that's fine and you know i think this is uh what we do with uh, methodological naturalism as well is that you know um however method methodological naturalism does hedge its bets so it's very rarely that we say with you know absolute certainty that you know what we found is correct because there, there's, there could always be something to overturn our answer and this is the thing you know um the, the current i suppose paradigm is that okay? We we have what we have, and these are the best answers that we have. But um, and I agree that part of me actually agrees here that taking God's word or taking the Bible at face value is probably the the most simplest and um minimalist uh way like the minimalist way to read the Bible is probably the best. Because then you're not really relying on, you know, extra doctrine, extra interpretation, um, all that kind of stuff. Like what the Bible says is, you know, um, issues of translation aside, of course. But, yeah. Um, anyway, that, that's just the fundamental, the fundamentalists of me talking. But, yeah, no, I, I uh, cut my teeth in a, in a fundamentalist church. And I, I do find that, you know, Reading the Bible as is, uh, without you know extra commentary and doctrine and all that kind of stuff, um, because then the question becomes: Well, what, whose whose commentary is right? Whose uh, you know whose interpretation is right? And without a uh, without an external, independent, objective uh, arbiter to decide that, um, theology is just an elaborate opinion. Anyway, um, yeah, so there's uh, dinosaur footprints and human footprints in Glenrose, Texas that has been debunked thoroughly. Um, just trying to think. Um, the truth about cavemen. Questions about radiocarbon dating. <laughs> all, that kind of, all that kind of stuff. All, all the creationist tropes, and this is uh, definitely written in 1991. Because, yeah, and this is the thing that yeah, even since 1990, we've found... A lot of discoveries, you know, that go to proving um, our place in the uh, biological tree of life. Um, we are a part of nature, not apart from nature. We'll start with the history of evolution. Where in the world did the idea come from that things left to themselves can improve with time? Who would start a crazy idea like that? This idea is the opposite of everything that we observe in the world today. For instance, all the highways in our nation today left to themselves decay, deteriorate and fall apart. 
a house left to itself will become a wreck. It takes work and constant planning to make things improve. Everything tends towards disorder. The first and second laws of thermodynamics are well-established scientific laws that have never been observed in the universe to be broken. The first law says that matter cannot be created nor destroyed by ordinary means. We do not see anything being created today, yet we, yet we do see an entire universe of created material. This clearly indicates a creator. There are people in the world today who wish to avoid the concept of God. They do not like the idea of a God telling them what to do. Therefore, they have come up with the most dangerous, damnable doctrine in every... Uh, sorry, sorry, Therefore, they have come up with the most dangerous, damn, damnable doctrine every imagined evolution. Oh, I, sorry, so it's supposed to be damnable doctrine ever imagined evolution, but his typist has put the Y at the end of ever, ever to make it every. So it means damnable doctrine every imagined evolution. I would like in this chapter to trace the history of evolutionary doctrine. Where did this dangerous doctrine come from? So he is right in that highways left themselves deteriorate, decay and fall apart, and a house left to itself will become a wreck. The problem is, is that houses and highways are not self-replicating organisms made from uh, amino acids. So the analogy there falls apart straight away. Um, and then he goes, uh, the first and second laws that have are well-established scientific laws, uh, never been observed to be broken. Um, now, uh, the first law says that matter cannot be created nor destroyed. But I thought the first law of thermodynamics was that energy cannot be created nor destroyed. So let me just double-check. I'm just getting, my, just getting my phone out. And I'll type in... Okay, uh, heat energy cannot be created or destroyed. So, uh, so it's not that matter can't be created or destroyed, it's energy cannot be created or destroyed. Um, yeah, the so it's reading from Wikipedia here. The first law of thermodynamics is a version of the law of conservation of energy. Okay, yep, so basically, yeah, so it's all to do with, it's all to do with energy. So even here, he's actually got this uh, got this part wrong. So matter can be matter can be destroyed, you know. Quite. And this is how we create nuclear energy: is by splitting atoms. Um, and yeah, and this is the thing: like we don't go to evolution because you know we we wish to avoid the concept of God. We we look at evolution because that's where the best evidence we have. We have lies. Evolution is purely a religion. There is no scientific evidence at all to back up any form of macroevolution. The technical definition of evolution means change. There is no question that things do change. All change is directed either downward toward less order if left to themselves, or upward with a mastermind behind it. The cities that we live in have evolved over the years. The city where you are now 
probably did not even exist 300 years ago. My college professor told me that cities evolve with time. I said to him, I agree. If you use this as your definition of evolved, then you are including a design, a design, a designer, and lots of work, planned, intelligent progress, not chaos ordered by itself. Not one of the buildings in your city built itself by the material rising up out of the ground. It did not happen that way. It does not ever happen that way. It will never happen that way. It requires intelligence and a designer. Okay. So firstly, <laughs> there is plenty of evidence for evolution. And I'll give a shout out to uh, a guy called Jackson Wheat. Uh, on Twitter, he is, you know, he's very friendly, very, uh, very knowledgeable, and he can go through another email. Yeah, um, yeah, he's answered a few questions for me. Um, and I'll agree, like evolution is a very technical subject, and it does require, especially when you get into things like genes and phenotypes and genotypes, and you know, there there is a lot, there is a lot to it. But just because we don't understand it doesn't actually mean, you know, hey, let's poo poo it and say it's a and there's a few, um, yeah, one of the uh, series I'm currently writing is uh, Evolution Explained. This is where I give my personal take on on, on evolution. But um, saying evolution is purely a religion, that's uh, coming from a guy who's uh, I, either he, he understands it, but he's just kicking back because uh, he doesn't want to admit that he's, that he's wrong. But he is right in that... Oh, one way of looking at evolution is change. Um, I don't know about the technical definition, the technical definition of evolution. Uh, evolution in a biological sense does mean change, but it's more the, um, the change in genetic frequencies, um, in populations of self-replicating organisms over time. Um, that is now saying like all changes directed either downward toward less order or upward the mastermind. Um, you have to define what you mean by Less order, and particularly in a bi particularly in a biological sense, you know, you can't um, because we see that there 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 are ways that uh, genomic information can be added, um, be it polyploidy, genomic duplication, uh, insertions, deletions, uh, retroviruses, um, stuff like that. So you don't need a um, you don't need a mastermind to add genetic information. That's uh... and then his uh, analogy here with a college professor told me that cities evolve with time. That's like, come on, come on, dude. This is uh... oh, and then this. Sorry, then this last part is it did not happen that way. It does not ever happen that way. It will never happen that way. It's like this is so not an academic level uh, writing. When I speak of evolution. I'm not referring to small minor changes that naturally occur as animals have to make some adjustments to their environment. For instance, if we release hundreds of rabbits in an area with cold winters, only the animals with the heavier fur would survive. So within a few years, the population would have a little, little heavier fur than the early populations. These small minor population shifts brought about by environment are referred to as microevolution. There has been no change in the genetic material of the rabbit. There has only been a change in the ratio of the population. You still have the same kind of animal. 
If that climate were to change back to a milder climate, the population of animals would change back to having a lighter fur. Macroevolution will be defined as changing into a different kind of animal. There is no similarity between microevolution and macroevolution. Many evolutionists will use microevolution to try to prove that macroevolution is true. We must guard ourselves to not fall for this false logic. Oh boy, so he's actually, he's got a little bit of the concept right in that um, the animals do uh, respond to changes in, well, they do respond to their environment. Um, and yeah, if we put those, animal, those animals with heavy fur back into, you know, warmer warmer climes then yeah they would have they would have problems but um when it says that there's been no change in the genetic material um it's not just genetic material it's the it's the expression and the coding and all the other stuff of the genetic material that uh that goes towards the the organism as well um for example um the the vitamin c uh, biosynthesis gene in humans is broken. Yeah, but if that got switched back on, we wouldn't need to eat, um, you know, oranges and citrus to get our vitamin C. Um, but he's right when he says, um, uh, where, where is it? Actually, no, hold on, here we go. Macroevolution would be defined as changing into a different kind of animal. No, uh, macroevolution is basically evolution above the species level and that's where we start to get um genus and family and taxa and class and order and infraorder and suborders and all all that kind of stuff the idea that evolutionists try to get across today is that there is a continual upward progression they claim that everything is getting better improving all by itself as if there is an inner drive toward more perfection and order. That is totally the opposite of the first and second law of thermodynamics. It goes against all scientific evidence that has been accumulated. Yet this lie is what many men believe today. We don't see it happening anywhere in our universe today. We don't see any evidence of this in the fossil record. I would like to trace the history of evolution beginning with the fall of Satan from heaven through the last 6,000 years to modern-day evolution, what those teaching this doctrine have planned for the future. To really understand the history of evolution, we have to understand the author. Satan is the mastermind behind this false doctrine. He was thrown out of heaven because of his desire to exalt himself to godhood. One of the underlying reasons... Sorry, one of the underlying reasons that evolution appeals to so many people is because it appeals to man's pride. Isaiah 31.11 says, I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the proud. Um, okay, so this is... Holy cheeseballs, this is... Uh, Given that he uh, misunderstands the first law of thermodynamics, and if I think I asked him to explain the second law of thermodynamics, I don't think he'd actually he'd actually get it. Um, 
second law the second law of thermodynamics is to do with the with energy transfer and uh what was it um energy lost due to uh, mechanical or chemical processes it's not to, it's there's an argument to be made that it could be to do with order and chaos but that's more of a yeah it's as if you know, yeah actually if anyone is listening to this who knows more they can uh, feel free to educate me but um yeah it's like they claim that everything is getting better, improving all by itself, as if there is an inner drive toward more perfection in order. No, um, that's not what evolution is. It is just the adaptation and accumulation of, of features uh, to survive the environment. That's really all. Uh, that's really all it is. And then <laughs> I'll let trace the history of evolution, beginning with the fall of Satan. So Satan is the Satan is the author of evolution. It's like, oh my god. That is oh boy. In Isaiah fourteen, twelve to fourteen, the Bible tells us of the fall of Satan from heaven. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Later on in the passage, God says that he will cast down Lucifer. I personally believe that Satan fell from heaven about a hundred years after the creation of Adam and Eve. I believe that he had watched Adam and Eve have fellowship with their creator, with pride and envy in his heart. He had been God's choir director since he was created. His desire to be God was thwarted when God cast him out of heaven. Ezekiel 28 tells of Ezekiel taking up a prophecy against Tyrus. It is obvious from the context that the king of Tyre is a picture or a type of Satan. Ezekiel 28, 2-5 and 17 says, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, Thus saith the Lord God, Because thine heart is lifted up, he will see the pride, and thou hast said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man and not God, though thou set thine heart as the heart of God. Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel, there is no secret that they can hide from thee. With thy wisdom and with thy understanding thou hast gotten thee riches, and hast gotten gold and uh, silver into thy treasures. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic hast thou increased thy riches. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I'll lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Tyrus is a type of Satan who lifted his heart up. Pride is mentioned repeatedly in the Bible as being one of the main things that God hates. I have noted several references to pride that shows God's attitude towards it. He hates it! Double exclamation mark. Here are several. Let me just check for time. Okay. We'll go. He's listed a whole heap of uh, Bible verses. Um, 
uh, I won't read them. I won't read the actual verses, but I'll just read the references. Leviticus 26.19, 1 Samuel 2.3, Psalm 10.2, Psalm 10.4, Psalm 73.6, Psalm 101.5, Psalm 119.21, Proverbs 6.16, Proverbs 8.13, Proverbs 13.10, Proverbs 15.25, Proverbs 16.5, Proverbs 16.8, Proverbs 21.4, Isaiah 14.12-16, Jeremiah 9.23, Obadiah 3, Matthew 23.6, Matthew 23.12, Mark 7.21, Luke 1.51, Romans 1, 22 to 30, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 1 Timothy 3, 6, 2 Timothy 3, 2, James 4, 6, 1 John 2, 16. There you have just a few of the many verses in the Bible that deal with pride. God hates pride. In his pride, Satan decided he would exalt himself and take over the throne of God. This is where evolution started. It started in heaven in the heart of Satan. Satan and a number of angels that followed him were cast down to the earth. Then we have the story repeated in the heart of man. Man is trying to exalt himself. This is what evolution is teaching today, that man is the pinnacle, the ultimate. Oh boy, no, um, evolution does not teach that man is the man is the ultimate. And this is what I said before was that... um that um, man is a part of nature, not a part from nature. Um, if we were unique creations, we should actually be apart from nature. And I think that's where... Um, yeah, that's uh, where... Well, boy, it'd be interesting if um, Kent Hoven has uh, misunderstood evolution all this time. Anyway, so look, uh, it's about 45 minutes, so I'll stop there. But yeah, as we can see, this is a, this is more of a theological, uh, a fundamentalist theological uh, rant against evolution rather than a um, a nuanced discussion that actually follows the the sci the scientific thinking behind. Uh, this is just more well, Satan authored evolution. Uh, that doesn't tell us how how evolution got from Satan to man. Um, he doesn't. Uh, well, so far he hasn't you know, given a mechanism of how that's that's happened. All say, all he really says is that you know, Satan had pride in his heart. Now man has pride in his heart. Therefore, evolution started with Satan. That's like, oh, oh boy, that is a. Uh, 